So can I borrow one of the boys to come up and join me up front? So today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna finish this series called Counterweight, Balancing Our Understanding of Faith. And in a moment, I want to illustrate something, but before I have the boys help me this morning, I just wanna remind you that over the last several weeks, what we have been trying to understand is how we move forward in our faith from simplicity to complexity to perplexity to harmony, and as we do so, what we find is that our faith has to balance out things like certainty and assurance and a lot of the things that we really long for. You know, when people come to religion, a lot of times they are looking for assurance and certainty and hope and those type of things. And sometimes they think that that's all that faith is about. But what we've looked at over the last several weeks is we've understood that faith evolves, faith adapts to our current situations, Faith even doubts. It doubts the things maybe that we have been told our entire lives. And today I want to talk about faith exploring. And if you can also hold that in your heart and in your mind, what you're going to find is it will balance your faith in a very profound way. So what we're going to do this morning to illustrate this idea of exploration is we are going to look at a bubble. And I have here a, a toy that I'm gonna have these guys press the button here and hold it and just press that button and see what happens, okay. So now take a look at those bubbles as it comes out of the machine. I'm gonna let, hit, let uh, Benji do it as well, okay. Let me dip it again. I want you to notice that these bubbles are all separate. But if there was wind in here, and we did this out in the backyard the other day with this, sometimes they'll get lifted up in the air, and if they, clo uh, they get close to one another, sometimes these bubbles will actually merge back together. So let's thank the boys for helping me out this morning. Thanks, guys. So I want you to think about faith being sort of like a bubble. We are a part of a bubble culture, whether we want to be or think that we are or not. And here's what I mean by that. Let me illustrate. So we are all raised within a family bubble. No one escapes their family of origin. We are conditioned by it. We are shaped by it. Think about another angle. We are all in a career bubble. That career bubble determines a lot about our life as well. So I've been in the ministry 35 years. And of course, Sunday services are on Sunday. I don't get any weekends available to do whatever I want. That's just a part of the career bubble that I'm a part of. We have a bubble of friends as well and those friendships are usually shaped by common interests, mutual love, and doing the type of things that you enjoy together. There is the bubble of our country of origin and the traditions that shape that culture. And of course, there are religious bubbles too. And whether you're a Christian here this morning, whether you're an agnostic or an atheist, it really doesn't matter. Your spiritual beliefs shape you and 
those spiritual beliefs are often a bubble that you live within. Now, usually we don't venture outside that bubble until it bursts. Perhaps our family is no longer safe and that family bubble bursts. Perhaps our career choice is not fulfilling and it doesn't pay enough, so we decide we might want to make a career change. We've had a good run with a good group of friends, but maybe even that friendship bubble has burst because you have been transferred and you need to relocate to a new state and you need to make a whole new group of friends. Your country of origin is not perfect by any means, and it's often deficient in things like safety, services provided to the community, perhaps even the beauty of where you live within the country. And your religious bubble or upbringing has been so indoctrinated at times that you cannot engage your faith and you can't imagine faith other than what you have been told your entire life. Well, remember I read the verse out of Isaiah 45.3, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Sometimes we are forced to change our outlook. Sometimes we are forced to change our location. Sometimes we are forced to change our vocation. And sometimes we are forced to change our doctrine. So when our son came out a number of years ago, pardon my language, but I said to Esty, oh shit, this changes everything. Nothing is going to be the same, and it wasn't. Because all of a sudden now, I didn't belong in the bubble that I was pastoring for 28 years. And as I moved on and as they let me go, we did a lot of praying, we did a lot of studying, we did a lot of conversation in this area. And you, those of you who joined us on the journey, you were part of those bubbles that kind of merged together up in the air and we became a bigger bubble together as a community that is open, accepting, and affirming. Well, occasionally I run across something that I think is important to quote. And Stan Mitchell, uh, pastor who used to pastor Grace Church down in Nashville, he left to become an advocate for the LGBTQ community. And this is what he posted on Facebook a couple of days ago. And on this last Sunday of Pride, I want to quote it because I think it illustrates for us this morning what it means to continue to explore. Listen, I quote, I did not change my mind regarding the matter of LGBTQ affirmation in spite of or in opposition to my Christian faith. To the contrary, it was my reverence for God, my devotion to Christ, and my respect for Scripture that led me to that change. You see, central to the Christian ethic is a willingness to carefully and courageously revisit a doctrinal position when confronted by human experiences or scientific evidence, experiences and evidence that seem uh, dissonant and discordant, even contradictory to that position. In those uncomfortable, difficult moments, 
A mature Christian ethic requires that we refuse to opt for self-serving and morally lazy options of either ignoring the experiences and science or dismissing, even rejecting the Bible outright. Both of those options are rash and ineffectual. Instead, a more mature morality requires that we avoid both those paths of cheap, easy, and shallow solutions. Instead, we are driven back to the text, experiences, and science in tow to ask courageously humble and curiously probing questions. Questions such as, have we read this text most faithfully today? Questions such as, has human consciousness grown in such a way we are now capable of engaging this text more fully and more richly? Are we capable of hearing it say something we have heard heretofore been incapable of hearing? That sacred process has been a part of our history from the church's first days. Instead, the Christian church has always carried the capacity to get even the most important matters terribly wrong. Fortunately, we have also shown the capacity to correct our wrongs, to make things right, to repent, even if far too often our repentance comes far too slowly. I believe this matter, the full affirmation and celebration of my LGBTQ siblings, is a part of that dark but redemptive story. To that end, I hold a patient heart for those who are in the process of doing that work, even as it lags unfinished. At the same time, I have little patience and even less respect for those Christians who in the wake of so much human goodness exhibited by LGBTQ plus people, in spite of an immeasurable amount of suffering in the lives of the same, as well as a mounting compelling body of scientific evidence, stubbornly hold that this issue does not merit sincere and faithful revisiting. To me, that refusal is plainly unchristian. That's quite a powerful post. It was a little bit lengthy. Thanks for bearing with me. You know, your faith will change over time. No bubble is held endlessly. Life will eventually burst your bubble, maybe, maybe sometimes several times. And sometimes when we hold on to things simply because it's something we have always believed or something that we feel comfortable with, and we fight for it tooth and nail, and we don't wrestle with it, we're not being faithful to many of the experiences of individuals that we find in the Scripture who, like Jacob, had to wrestle to the point where God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means to wrestle with God. Our experiences change how we think about God, and they do that by challenging our ideas about God. And as a result, what happens, we wind up wrestling with God and adjusting our understanding who God is and what God is like. And these moments, these experiences, they can come from anywhere and at any time. You cannot script them. And you can't put your faith on autopilot, faith that sat too long in one spot, that hasn't moved on to create a new experience and outlook, can become in many ways stale. It might be overgrown with weeds and vines, you might say. And as long as you and I deal with life 
in universal abstractions, we can pretend that the usual binary ways of thinking are true. But once you deal with specific and concrete realities, the people that you live with, the people that you know, there's always a mixture of both darkness and light and death and life and goodness and bad, attractiveness and unattractiveness. And you know, when you move forward in that, and you learn to hold these creative tensions, all of a sudden your faith will become much freer because you're no longer worried about needing to get it right. Sometimes when faith is handed down to us, and we think that it's kind of like a doctrinal dissertation that is being reviewed by a doctrinal professor and is nitpicking and redlining every small mistake, there's no freedom in that, and there's no joy in that. God is not like that doctoral advisor. He encourages us to explore, and sometimes that means outside your bubble as well. There are all kinds of different kinds of people in the world, and they have all kinds of different worldviews, and it's easy to dismiss them in the abstract, but when you get to know them, and you have a meal with them, or coffee. All of a sudden, the abstract becomes concrete because you get to know their story. You get to know who they are and what made them who they are. And all of a sudden, your faith needs to get big enough to explore not only outside your bubble, but to also merge together people who are dearly loved by God. You know, sometimes, just sometimes, we need to break out of our bubble in order to see the world as it really is, much different than the bubble that we grew up in. So there is this explorer that I want to tell you about. But the real danger of exploring our faith is to slip into stubbornness to slip into what we've always believed and defend it rather than moving forward. Have you heard of, Mark, uh, of Marco Polo? Do you know his story at all? Interesting, uh, an author by the name of Umberto Eco in his book Serendipities, Language and Lunacy, recounts how this 13th century Italian explorer, Marco Polo, searched for unicorns and doggedly claimed to have found them. At the time, European culture accepted the experience of these mythical creatures, but what he actually discovered was Asian rhinos. He didn't discover unicorns. He discovered Asian rhinos, and he had no language to describe what this animal was. So Marco Polo fell victim to what Echo refers to as background books. He says that our background book is derived from our cultural bubbles. It's our preconceived notions of the world, and we derive them from what we've already experienced in the world. Marco Polo believed in unicorns, which is hard to believe now all these centuries later that someone could believe in unicorns, but he did. And as he set out to explore, he came across a creature he had never seen before. 
And finally, when he came across this Asian rhino, it looked pretty close to a unicorn, but he had no language to describe what he had found. But I'll tell you what, those that live close to this creature, the Asian rhino, probably already had a name for it. They probably already knew the tendencies and habits of this creature, even though Marco Polo didn't. So he needed to burst his bubble, and he needed to also learn a little bit more as his understanding of the world grew a little bit bigger. Let me ask you a real personal question. Are you, am I, open to learning from other people who are not a part of our religious tradition? Are we willing to open our mind and our heart? Because faith is not a settled, comprehensive thing. But faith is more like a movement toward God and a movement toward the expectation that along the way there are some things that I will need to wrestle with. Faith is a forward movement. But when we move forward and we wrestle together, it's not that you leave behind your bubble. It's not that you leave behind what you learned. It's not what you leave behind. It's what you are also opening yourself up to, to experience. And there's freedom in that. Faith moving forward finds freedom. And here's the greatest freedom of all. In the process of learning to live in that freedom, there's the experience of freedom from fear, freedom from worry, freedom from being wrong, freedom from being judgmental or being judged, and the freedom from needing to be right all the time. Rather, what we understand is faith is this messy process that is where God can be found. We could really go on about this. I'll just mentioned two individuals. Did you know Moses learned from the Egyptians? He was raised in an Egyptian household. Did you know that Paul learned much from the Greek culture in Acts chapter 17 when he's on Mars Hill? He actually quotes some of the Greek philosophers in his conversation with those in Athens. Many Christians might feel uncomfortable with this idea. They are more comfortable living in their bubble But that bubble is usually very precarious because when you come up against something you can't see or understand, then you have a crisis of faith. When that bubble collides with something, it can either burst or it can merge, and it can become bigger. And hopefully that's what will happen as we continue to explore the nature of faith. Now, I want to mention one story. So Jenny sang at the beginning of the service a man that was blind by the side of the road. That's actually a different passage than this. But in John chapter 9, there's a story. It's a lengthy passage, which is interesting in and of itself. Why is there so much text given to this particular story? 41 verses. And it begins this way. As he went along, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Now his disciples had grown up in a bubble of Judaism. And in that bubble of Judaism, they had an outlook that if somebody is suffering, they must have done something wrong. Incidentally, in two weeks when we start a new series and look at the life of Job, that's Job's friends. You must have done something wrong, Job, to experience all that you went through. Now, the disciples are in this bubble. And in this bubble, they ask this question. It's a natural question. Who sinned? Did the man sin? Well, if he sinned, he had to sin within the womb because he was born blind. Or was it his parents that sinned? And here's the answer, verse 2 and 3. Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This happened so that you can burst your bubble. (laughs) This happened so that you can see some things that you have never seen before. Now you would think that this would end the story. Jesus goes on and he says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming, which no one can work. But while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word for Siloam means scent. Go to the pool of scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seen. This man himself had his bubble burst. He couldn't believe it. In faith, he moves forward, and he explores the possibility that this mud that was put on his eyes by Jesus might actually do something. So he's caked in mud. He can't see a thing. And someone leads him to the pool of Siloam, and there he washes his face, and he removes the mud from his eyes, and he opens his eyes, and he can see. And all of a sudden, his bubble that he lived in his whole life burst, and he was able to see things greater than he could ever see before. The text goes on. I'm going to skip over some verses. In verse 13, the Pharisees are going to get involved. Now, the Pharisees live in this bubble as well. And this bubble includes the same mindset of the disciples. If a person is suffering, what did they do wrong? Must have sinned in some way for them to suffer the way they did. And secondly... This miracle that Jesus performed, he did on the Sabbath. uh -uh, That's a no-no. How dare you perform a miracle on the Sabbath? Don't you know our religious tradition says that you can't work on the Sabbath? So they go and they find this guy. In verse 13 it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, ah, this man is not from God. 
He does not keep the Sabbath. Because in our bubble, in our religious bubble, a man from God will not do miraculous things even though it's beneficial on the Sabbath day. But others said, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Even in their day, all these cultural bubbles are out there floating around. And what we find is that they begin to interview the man. And as they interview the man, he says, I don't know. I don't understand it. This man put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I now see. So they seek out the parents. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's lengthy. And they said, is, was this man really born blind? They doubt it. Oh, he really wasn't blind. And they asked the parents, and the parents say, yeah, he was blind from birth. And the bottom line of this is, I don't know what happened. All I know is this, once I was blind, but now I see. That's all I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Now, the Pharisees doubled down. They didn't burst their bubble and begin to think of other things. They doubled down. And the Gospel of John will tell us how the conflict with the Pharisees continues to grow that will lead to the cross. Now, how could the Pharisees do that? Well, they had scriptural tradition. They could uh, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, you have kind of this karma-like understanding of suffering. This tit-for-tat reward and punishment worldview is found right there in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you do good, I will bless you. If you do evil, you will be cursed. Well, this retribution bubble that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28 has 53 verses in it that seems to justify their outlook. But what they didn't understand and what we often don't understand is faith evolves, faith adapts, faith doubts, and faith explores. That's what the four things we talked about. They didn't understand that that wasn't the end of all. They they didn't understand what Jesus knew, that God is always working, that God is always on the move, and he has the right to change and do things new. So skip down to the end of the chapter. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown this blind man out, and when he found him, Jesus looks at this man and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. And Jesus said this, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Pharisees pick up on this, and some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Well, it's a fascinating response. Jesus tells them that you don't have to be physically blind to be blind. That because we use our cultural bubble as a lens to look at the rest of life, 
one of the things that we can do is not see God at work when he really is at work. Can I encourage you to continue to explore? Explore your faith. Explore your spiritual experience. Listen to the stories of others. It might open your world. And yes, you'll have to wrestle with some of those things. And that's okay. Because it is in wrestling that we find that God has been out ahead of us the entire time. And we are just catching up to what God is already doing. So let us become, I guess, Marco Polo, explore, but help us, Lord, to change when we come to the realization there's no such thing as unicorns, but there are such things as Asian rhinos. And there's some similarities there, but they're not the same. God is out ahead of us, and he's calling us forward to a better faith. And it is my belief that a better faith includes people who are not like us. A better faith includes ethnicities that we're not a part of. A better faith is races that we can learn from because their traditions are different. A better faith is including those who have been rejected by the church. A better faith is accepting people who are on the margins. A better faith is opening our heart and ripping it open to allow God's love to be poured into our hearts so that we can pour it out to other people. And I'll tell you, as difficult as that is to do, because one tendency of human beings is we're lazy. And we don't like to do that. We don't like to be pushed off our comfort. And yet at the same time, there's great freedom when we find that God is taking us into tomorrow with something new. I'm going to ask the team to come back up. And as they do so, this is a new song that uh, Jenny is introducing to us this morning. I had never heard it before. And I really do appreciate Uh, Jenny introducing us to some new material that allows us to understand what it means to be a child of God and what it means to be a child of love. Would you stand? Would you join me in prayer as we close? Lord, as we come up this weekend to a weekend of freedom, help us to understand and appreciate that physical freedom is only one freedom. We want to be physical, uh, physically free to, to do the things that we love to do, but we also want to be spiritually free from some of the bubbles that have held us back many times. I thank you for this time that we've had to look at the story of the blind man. Thank you that we too can learn to continue to be open to your leading And may we, this week, wash the mud from our eyes and help us to see a whole new world that is possible for those of us who continue to explore your love. Give us a great week, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you in two weeks for worship. Thanks.